Cherry Hill Volvo, we have absolutely incredible offers and a plethora of both new and certified Volvos from which to choose. We are eager to offer amazingly competitive prices, plus an additional $1,000 Costco discount on all new Cherry Hill Volvos. When leasing or purchasing a new or certified Cherry Hill Volvo, you become a valued part of our team. Join Cherry Hill Volvo for the pricing and attention you deserve. I am Judith Krupnik, president of Cherry Hill Volvo. WOGL HD3 Philadelphia from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios where relationships matter always live on the free Odyssey app the revolution will be broadcast this is the next generation of talk now on talk radio 1210 WPHT Rich Zioli Ukraine aid in limbo as Republicans push back against Biden's phony immigration plan. That's good. Al Gore, he's back and he wants uh, the Internet to be reformed that he created, of course, that he invented uh, because he thinks algorithms, ironically enough, algorithms, Al Gore, are like AR-15s. So I'll give you my thoughts on that as well. Big fourth and final hour. Welcome back to the show. Glad you are here today. But our friends over at the Daily Signal have a story. It's an exclusive. School assigned a girl to sleep with a boy who identifies as trans without parental notification. Here to talk about it with me, Caroline Moore is the vice president of Parents Defending Education. Caroline, thank you for joining me here on the show. I appreciate it. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. So what happened here? Yeah, so this is an instance in Jeffco County Public Schools. This is in Colorado. An 11-year-old girl went on a, an overnight field trip with her classroom. Her mother was even on the trip. And the school made it explicit that on this trip, boys are going to be on a different hotel room floor than the girls. And little to this child's awareness or their mom or their parents' awareness, their daughter was assigned to not only share a room but share a bed with a biological male who identifies as a girl. Um, And so this is just such a shock, especially because the mom was a chaperone on the trip. And so it brings up a lot of issues about, you know, parental awareness, but also privacy concerns, Title IX. I mean, there's a lot that goes into this type of a thing. Wait, wait, wait. She had to not just share a room, but share a bed with this boy? Yes. Yes. Well, Which I, why, I don't know. Though? I think I don't, it would open the school up to so many liabilities. I can't imagine that any school would put two students in the same bed, um, but had to, yeah, had to share a bed with a biological male. And, you know, 11 years old can be a really comp- – I mean, it's a, a private time. A lot of girls are, you know, begin getting their periods when they're 10 – so to be sharing a bed with a biological male, whether they identify as a girl, I mean, that shouldn't even matter. It's just the fact that biologically it's a female and a male in the same bed um, at a compromising age. And I think that, you know, this is just to me, it's just so outlandish. But what's cr- even crazier is, you know, this really this isn't the first instance that we've ever heard of this. This is something that seems to be happening across the country, and states have policies on overnight trips that deal with that. You know, they have to um, cater to students who identify as the opposite sex, and they are allowed to stay with ha- um, a female if that's what they identify with, or stay with a male if that's what they identify as. And so, 
Um, I think that this is going to end up being a huge problem as parents start to become aware of these issues, because it seems like parents aren't aware. They're not notified before the trip happens, when it happens. It seems like parents become aware after the trip and their children come home traumatized. Like, oh, my gosh, I had to share a room or let alone a bed with someone of the opposite sex. And I can't even imagine the trauma that a kid would feel when they know that's not appropriate. But you said the mom was on the school trip. So why why didn't the mom do anything about this? So the mom became aware of it on the trip when um, so she, she was like a chaperone on the trip, um, but was not. Um, she had no idea about the room assignments. I guess she didn't find out until the daughter made her aware of it. Her daughter got to the room and found out that she was sharing a room with a biological male in a bed. That's just it's really, really amazing. you got to love public schools. Um, well, thank you for updating this on uh, for, for us. Parents Defending Education, you guys are doing great work over there. Tell us about the organization. Yeah, so we are a national membership organization, and we represent parents from all over the country and provide them with the research and resources they need to know about what's happening in their schools. We we want kids to go to school, feel safe, or be safe, and to learn um, science, math, English, and history. I think that's what all of us grew up going to public school and thinking of, um, as opposed to, you know, learning a political agenda, bringing politics into the classroom and activism into the classroom, as well as, you know, this type of an issue, um, parental rights things where parents aren't aware of what's going on in the classroom if their child is um, being socially transitioned behind their back or if, you know, they are playing on sports teams with biological males if they're females and parents just aren't aware of these issues. So we um, file um, open records requests with school districts across the country to try and figure out what the policies are and what's actually happening in these schools because a lot of parents don't have time to be filing um, that information. So we provide awareness and um, try to bring attention to things so that parents can be more informed of um, what their kids are experiencing at school. Yeah, I, I would say so. Well said. Thanks for joining me and, and updating us on the situation, Caroline Moore. I appreciate it. Vice President of Parents Defending Education. Thank you. Thank you. Seoli Show on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. You know, as um, we talk about all these various issues of the day, a lot of this also comes down to censorship, obviously, where you can't speak out on these issues. We know the parents who tried to speak out on things at school boards, for example, um, they were labeled uh, potential domestic violent extremists by the Biden administration. And we know that whole thing that took place. Well, Al Gore is back now talking about algorithms, algorithms. I mean, he did invent the Internet, so it probably invented algorithms, too. He named them after himself. Think about it. Algorithms. Hello. Is this thing on? Algorithms. Anyway, here's former Vice President Al Gore speaking with Bloomberg News as he equates algorithms to this. Cut 14. If you have social media that is dominated by algorithms that uh, pull people down these uh, rabbit holes that are a bit like pitcher plants, these algorithms, uh, they are the digital equivalent of AR-15s. They ought to be banned. They really ought to be banned. It's an abuse of the public forum. But when, these, when people are pulled down these uh, rabbit holes, you know what's at the bottom of the rabbit hole? That's where the echo chamber is. 
Uh, and if you spend too much time in the echo chamber, what's weaponized is another form of AI, not artificial intelligence, artificial insanity. <laughs> I'm nah. serious. I'm nah. serious. Q, 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 yeah, QAnon is just the <laughs> best known version of artificial in, in, insanity. And th- these uh, devices are the enemies uh, of self-government, and they're the enemies of democracy. We need reforms for both democracy and capitalism. Both, are, both sets of reforms are possible. You know, thank God that guy never became president. I mean, my, my, un- unbelievable. Uh, this is what he's talking about again. It's about, he doesn't like the fact that there's, there, there, there's the ability for people <clears throat> out there to, uh, to turn around and say things that Al Gore doesn't like on things like climate change, for example. You know, I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time being critical of the FBI in the last several days as we're looking to reform the FISA Act. Eric Beam over at Reason.com has a great story about this. The FBI seized $86 million from people not suspected of any crime. A federal court will decide if that's legal. On Thursday, a federal appeals court will hear about the FBI's blatant scheme to circumvent the Fourth Amendment. Following a raid in March of 2021, federal agents spent days rifling through the personal belongings stored in nearly 1,400 safe deposit boxes seized from a vault in Beverly Hills, California. The agents were tasked with cataloging the contents of the boxes, but they also seized piles of valuables, gold coins, luxury watches, family heirlooms, and stacks of cash from people who had not been charged with any crimes. And they did that despite being told by the warrant authorizing the raid that the contents of the safe deposit boxes were, wait for it, off limits. On Thursday, a panel of federal judges at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals will be asked whether the FBI's brazen smash-and-grab scheme that netted more than $86 million in forfeited cash and property violated the Fourth Amendment rights of the raid's innocent victims. Quote, the fundamental principle at stake is that if the government wants to search and seize your property, it has to have some reason to think you did something wrong, said Rob Johnson, an attorney with the Institute for Justice and one of the lawyers who will argue the case before the circuit court tomorrow. He wrote that on Twitter. The FBI came up with a blatant scheme to circumvent the fundamental principle. And so far, no court has held them to account. When the case went before a lower court last year, federal judge Gary Klausner ruled that the FBI's inventory of the seized safe deposit boxes was legal, despite acknowledging that attorneys for the plaintiffs have certainly shown that the government had a dual motive in inventorying the contents of each safe deposit box. Now, uh, you know my problem with civil asset forfeiture. You know that, right? My problem with it um, is that the Constitution doesn't allow it. If you're charged with a crime and then found guilty of a crime, then it's criminal forfeiture. Nobody argues with that. But when it's civil forfeiture, you haven't even been charged with a crime, let alone been found guilty of a crime, and the government just steals from you. The government just steals from you. You know that, right? That's what happens. The government just takes your stuff. And it's a blatant violation of the Fourth Amendment, too, because the Fourth Amendment limits the government's ability to search. That's why the Fourth Amendment says that the warrant has to be specific. And in this case, the warrant actually said you couldn't look at the safe deposit boxes. And the FBI said, we don't care. We don't care. 
So hopefully now this will this will be a case where hopefully the courts will finally address this situation and do the right thing about it, which is to, to, to end civil forfeiture in this country. If you're charged with a crime, if you're convicted by a jury of your peers, as per the Sixth Amendment of the Constitution, then the government can take your stuff if it was obtained in the course of a crime, of that crime. I don't argue with that. Nobody argues with that. Nobody has a problem with criminal forfeiture. But we're not talking about criminal forfeiture because none of the people here are criminals because they haven't been found guilty of anything. And in this case, let alone charged with anything. So think about that. Um, here's uh, Harvard's president shamefully refusing to say whether the calling for the mass violence and genocide of the Jewish people is considered harassment or bullying, according to Harvard's own code of conduct. I was joking about this with Jimmy Fallon before, because, you know, on college campuses, if you have Taco Tuesday and you're not Mexican, they'll consider that to be bullying, cultural appropriation and send you to re-education camp. But here you go. Uh, cut number nine. Let me ask you this. You are president of Harvard, so I assume you're familiar with the term intifada, correct? I've heard that term, yes. And you understand that the use of the term intifada in the context of the Israeli-Arab conflict is indeed a call for violent armed resistance against the state of Israel, including violence against civilians and the genocide of Jews. Are you aware of that? That type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. And there have been multiple marches at Harvard with students chanting, quote, there is only one solution, intifada revolution, and, quote, globalize the intifada. Is that correct? I've heard that thoughtless, reckless, and hateful language on our campus, yes. So based upon your testimony, you understand that this call for intifada is to commit genocide against the Jewish people in Israel and globally, correct? I will say again, that type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. Do you believe that type of hateful speech is contrary to Harvard's code of conduct, or is it allowed at Harvard? It is at odds with the values of Harvard. Can you but not say here that it is against the code of conduct at Harvard? We embrace a commitment to free expression, even of views that are objectionable, offensive, hateful. It's when that speech crosses into conduct that violates our policies against bullying, harassment, Does that speech and not cross that barrier? Does that speech not call for the genocide of Jews and the elimination of Israel? When you that testify that you understand that is the def- definition of intifada. Now, let's try is the Nazis. Is that speech according to the code of conduct or not? We embrace a commitment to free expression and give a wide berth to free expression even of views that are objectionable. You and I I'm calling BS on that. Let me jump in here. I'm going to call BS on that because it turns out that the person who's doing the questioning, Elise Stefanik, the congresswoman there, was actually fired by Harvard. The Harvard Institute of Politics fired her from her advisory position for supporting Trump during the 2020 election. But that's not all, right, Matt DeSantis? There have been other people who've also been fired by Harvard for their political beliefs. Is that not true? Yeah, I mean, the Stefanik one was particularly egregious, especially in the context of of this conversation, because Claudine Gay is basically making the argument that the school will defend anti-Semitic speech because they are ardent supporters of free speech. But um, the student body was furious with Stefanik 
uh, for supporting Trump during the 2020 election, they threw a, a, a big hissy fit, and the university responded not by supporting free speech, not by supporting uh, Stefanik's right to support whomever she chooses to support during a presidential election, but by just canning her. They mm-hmm. they bent over backwards for the uh, student body, and, and they fired her. That's why it's very, very hard to defend the actions of these colleges, because as Dershowitz said on the show, they have not been bastions of free speech. They're full of crap. They've been censoring people and canceling people and firing professors and banning speakers and punishing students for their speech. They've been doing all of these things for years. So me, as the the guy who defends freedom of speech, I have to call these colleges out for being completely full of it because these colleges have been the opposite of the arbiters of free speech. Here's UPenn's president um, uh, trying to justify not firing faculty who have openly expressed anti-Semitic viewpoints. Well, actually, it's a too long of a cut for now, but we have a short show tonight. There's basketball. I mean, you know, I, oh, I hate that I'm off early. I got to go. Uh, eat pizza and drink wine and hang out with the kids. But um, with Temple basketball at 6.30. So, so we're basically out of time. <laughs> I blame Al Gore for this. <laughs> Al Gore is a ridiculous human being. He really is. He's like a clown. Like He's almost like a cartoon character. I don't believe he's real. Nothing he Speaking of cartoons, do you have the uh, trailer, Henry? Do you want to play that now or should we save it for tomorrow? Uh, you, know, you know what? Let's save it for tomorrow. I'll oh, save it for tomorrow. We yeah. do have the trailer of that new cartoon that they made over at Daily Wire. But what, what were we going to say about Al Gore? Oh, yeah. His claim that algorithms are basically causing political polarization. I don't buy that for a second. Uh, there's a lot of research that seems to indicate that by bifurcating society, which I'm not saying is a good thing, but bifurcating society based upon political views, it actually sort of tones down um, hateful rhetoric. There was, I think, a Duke professor that concluded that when you allow for um, uh, or, or when an algorithm forces, say, I don't know, Republican content on a, a Democrat's page, they actually become more ardent supporters of uh, Democrat views, for example. So right, they double down on their own yeah, views. Yeah, basically, the yeah. algorithm isn't what's creating political polarization. No, it's Taylor Swift. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't remember that being the conclusion of the uh, the the journal article, but it, it very well may be. I'm just saying I think I have the secret answer that we're all looking for. Everyone likes uh, Taylor, aside from you and, and Henry. Right. And a lot of other people too. We find her incredibly annoying. <laughs> I, I just I don't understand why she's person of the year. It's just Yeah, it's just what did what did she do? You guys can't right, hate right. Taylor Swift. What did she do? What did she do? What we're did gonna, she do to deserve that title? We're gonna get in trouble. What did she do to deserve that title? We're out of time, so we'll have to continue this debate tomorrow on the show. I have a heart out, so I'm going to follow it so you don't get mad at me, Henry. I'm going to follow the rules for once. Yes, okay, let's go. All right, two things. Number one, uh, Grand Hotel, December 15th. Make sure you're there for our next live and final show of the year, Friday, December 15th. So a week from Friday, 3 to 7 p.m., live show, Grand Hotel of Cape May, New Jersey. Celebrate Christmas together. It'll be a Christmas miracle if you're there. So please join us and make my Christmas miracle come true. Join us for our live show Friday, December 15th. And thank you for listening today. And I want to thank my buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria, for all of his incredible support of the show as well. Dr. Venaria is the absolute best dentist out there, bar none, period. He's great. He's a great guy. He's got great people that work with him, great office, and great staff. And he's easy to get to. With two locations to serve you in South Jersey, 
right over the bridge in Woodbury and right over the bridge in Cinnaminson. Easy to get to from wherever you are. And believe me, he's worth the trip. People travel from all over for the great work of Dr. Mike Venaria because he's second to none. And that's why for 10 years, he's been acknowledged as top dentist in New Jersey. He's fantastic. And he's my dentist. I mean, I really go to him. And Bridget goes to him. The kids go to him. Mama Zioli goes to him too. This Christmas, why not give yourself the gift of a beautiful smile? A smile says the world tells the world so much. So give yourself that gift this Christmas with my buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria. Complicated dental procedures. If you've had an estimate, get a second opinion with him. He is the master himself. Just go to VenariaDental.com, V-A-N-A-R-I-A. My dentist, my friend, and the master of dental implants, Dr. Mike Venaria, VenariaDental.com. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and on the free Odyssey app.